there's a story in Mark, we're not going to turn there, where Jesus um, was walking down a certain road, and he had his disciples, and he was cruising along. And uh, because he did that, he'd walk with them and talk with them and things like that. And so he was walking along this day, and and, uh, he asked his disciples, he said, who do men say that I, the son of God or man, am? Who, Who do people say I am? And what happened was they gave an answer. They told him there were rumors about who Jesus was. And it's wild about some of the rumors that were out there. And they were religious rumors too. They, they might have sounded real spiritual. Meaning this, what happened was he, he was traveling along, he asked him, and, and so they start giving these answers. They say, well, some say you're one of the prophets, like Jeremiah. Well, he was a mighty Old Testament prophet. And so they had these spiritual ideas about who Jesus was. And they're like, man... They're saying this, and then somebody else said, well, some are saying you're, you're Elijah, and some are saying you're other prophets. And then John the Baptist had been there, and they said, and he had been killed, and they said, well, some are even saying you're John the Baptist brought back to life. They had these spiritual ideas about Jesus, and, and they were, you know, couldn't say they were bad things, you know, in the sense that they were thinking just horribly of him, like, you're a cult leader. But what they were saying was not right. But it's interesting, then Jesus said, who do you say that I am? And then Peter answered there in Mark and said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. He knew who Jesus was, and he got the right answer. And what's interesting is the world, if they don't know who Jesus is, then they're not going to be able to get saved. If they don't know who he is personally in in different avenues, they're not going to be able to walk in it. And so it's important for the world to know, but it's super important for you to know who he is. But here's an interesting thing. Jesus asked and said, who do people think I am? And who do you think I am? Here's an interesting thing. The Bible said Jesus came as an example of how we ought to live our life. Let me say this. People are going to have a lot of opinions about you. And you're going to find out about them. And they may say, well, you're spiritual, but anybody can be spiritual, and you can all approach God on your own, and you can do this, and you can be that, and you're just like everybody else, you know, those weird Jesus people, whatever it is. But here's the thing. It doesn't really just matter what people think about you. The question could be asked you, who are you, and who do you say you are? And not by your own opinion, but from God's opinion. Identifying with who you really are is key. What if Jesus didn't think he was the son of God and didn't think he was God and thought, you know, I'm just not going to do all these things, you know, that have been pressuring, you know, there's been a lot of pressures, you know. Every time I go to the city, they're like, we want to kill him. We want to throw him off of a cliff. They try to stone him to death. And he's like, you know, this is pretty tough. When he didn't know who he, if he didn't know who he was, he could have easily given up, easily gone another way and said, 
this is a tough road to plow. I ain't plowing this because what does it really matter what I do, how I act, how I live? How's this going to affect anybody else? What if he would have started thinking like that? The reason he didn't think like that was because he also knew who he was. He knew who he was, so he lived a life totally of purpose. When people don't know who they are, maybe they don't live a life of purpose like they should. Maybe if we just think, you know, I mean, we're saved, and that's important. But is there more than that? What if he would have just thought, I'm the son of God, therefore I can just walk around doing whatever I want. But he actually knew that he was supposed to die for the world and was supposed to live a separate kind of life because of who he was. So if Jesus asked the people, who do people say that I am? And then he said, who do you say that I am? Then the question might come to bear, who do people say you are? And does it really matter whether they get it right or wrong? It can if they're looking for help from you. You with me? Because if people don't know who you really are, they might not really be able to get help. As a matter of fact, when Jesus, in Mark 6, there's a story about Jesus coming to his own country, and it says there, Jesus could do no mighty work. Do you know Jesus couldn't heal anybody he wanted to? You go read the context, Mark 6, 5. You, you know, because wouldn't it be good for us to know what the Bible said so we could, you know, because people say, well, well, Jesus is just Jesus. He could just do whatever he wanted to. No. And it said there he could do, he could do no mighty work. And it goes on to talk about how he only healed a few of minor ailments. And it says he marveled at their unbelief. But what happened was, if you read in the context, the people were all murmuring and complaining, saying, who is this? And he said, a prophet's not without honor, except for among his own people, his own home crowd, and his own certain people who have wrong opinions. They didn't esteem him as Savior, as Lord, as the one who could do it, and it hindered them. So if people don't know who you are, it could hinder them from receiving. If they don't know you're saved, and if they don't know you know the Savior, then they may go look for somebody else for help. But when they get in trouble and they know who you are, but if you keep it a secret, they might just pass on to another person. And you really have an answer, and you really got something, and you really are somebody in the Lord. But if they don't know it, they won't approach you. They may look and think there's something different and you act different, but they need to know who we are so they can find hope in the Lord too. But the question is not only who do people think Jesus was and it hindered how they received or helped how they received. You with me? Many times they said, we know you're sent from God and those people were open and received from Him. And so the issue comes down to in life, who do people think Jesus is? But Jesus had to know who he was. If Jesus had to know who he was, is it important for you to know who you are? Not who you are, you know, I live at 
3712 this street, and, or I, I, I grew up in this neighborhood, and these are my parents, and, you know, I got a good job, or I, I have, I'm looking for a job. You know, God cares about all those things, but those aren't the first priority of life. And so turn with me to 2 Corinthians, the ninth chapter. We're going to look at something here. And, and you may re- we may read this, and when we read it, you might go, what is he talking about? And you might form your own opinions as soon as I start reading because this is a familiar verse of Scripture, 2 Corinthians 6. Did I tell you 9? Good. Well, just maybe we'll get there later on, but not right now. 2 Corinthians 6. And uh, it's an interesting thing. Like I tell people, read the Scriptures in their context. They can help you. But right here in the 14th verse, it says, And we'll read through the 16th verse. It says, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? Verse 16, and what agreement has the temple of God with idols? Now, I'm not going to keep reading, but we'll go back and read in a minute. Notice he said there, he said, don't become joined together with unbelievers. Now, most people, when they read this, they think, oh, this is a dating scripture. I'm married. Or I'm married and man, I should have read this. No. It's more than that. It's actually a lot more than that. It really is a lot like what Jesus said on the Damascus or on that road there. It wasn't Damascus, that's where Paul was. But on that road when he was talking, he was explaining, asking questions. And actually, this is the same thing. It's very, very similar. He noticed what he said when he first started in verse 14. Do not be unequally, or, you know, when we talk about equal, like if I have $4 in one hand and $100 in the other hand, I have equal amounts in each hand, right? Right? I can get the same thing with $4 that I can for $100, right? $100 is just as valuable as $4, People look at $4 the same as they look at $100. No. And he said, do not be unequally yoked together. Notice, with unbelievers. So he's basically saying there is a difference between them and you. And we want to look at the you part. And we do need to recognize the them part. And this is talking about really joining the forces together with different things in life. Whether it's people or whatever it is. This scripture is not teaching us to avoid lost people. I can't do any business with them, they're lost. That's not what these verses are teaching. I can't talk with them because they're lost. That's not what these verses are talking about. They, in many ways, are talking about identification. 
identifying who you are and who other people are. And when he's talking about being yoked together, a lot of people probably think naturally, you know, well, Jesus, that one time he said, if anybody's tired, labored, heavy laden, he said, come to me, take my yoke upon you and learn of me for my yoke is easy and my burden is a lie. What is a yoke? It's something that we don't really talk about or use today, but back in this day, it would be like if they had ox in a field and they had a plow and they wanted to get something accomplished, they would take this big wooden thing and then they would attach an ox on one side and an ox on another side and then a person would get behind and today they wouldn't whip the ox because that would be inhumane. They would say, please move forward. And then if it didn't, they would go give it encouraging words and stuff like that. But back then, they'd whip the thing and get the thing going. <laughs> and they would have two ox pulling this, this plow or, you know, a single yoke. But he's talking about a double yoke where, where a believer is one and something else is in the other. What if, you know, you are the farmhand, you know, working in the field, and the guy who owns the field said to you, I need you to do this work. Go get the plow ready and go to work. And I come out there in a little while, and man, there the lines aren't straight. They're like in little circles, and there's only a few of them, and you're all tired and everything. I said, what is going on? Well, I did what you said. It's just not working out. And I'm like, well, well, let's go check this out. Give it a shot. And I'm like, walk up, and I'm like, what are you doing? Look at this. You can't work like that. He's all, why? He's, I said, well, you got an ox in one side and a rooster on the other. That's why you're going in circles. You've connected it to a rooster. Yeah, well, that's all I could find. I was impatient. It's what presented itself. Well, if you want to make some progress, let's get rid of that rooster and get another ox. Or let's get two roosters. But people, that's what he's saying. Don't become unequally yoked together because it can hinder you. What's it hindering? Well, he's going to tell you the side that gets hindered. You with me? If I join myself to a skunk, and I, it doesn't matter how much cologne I put on, I can put extra cologne on. If I yoke up with a skunk, and I'm praying extra, reading more, but I'm joined up to something else, I'm going to be stinking. You might go, oh, yeah, I smell the cologne, but there's something else there. You wouldn't even have to pray as much. You wouldn't even have to read as much. You with me? But it's important, and what he's trying to do is get them to identify with themselves. Why join up with a rooster if you're an ox? And when we're talking, we're not just talking dating. We're not just talking relationships, though that covers it. We're talking in life. 
the things of life, but in, in a major way, he's talking about identifying with you. Because notice what he said here. He said in verse 14, do, you, do not become unequally yoked together with unbelievers. So, so an unbeliever is not what you are. Because he called that being unequally yoked, unequally connected, not connected to the right thing. He said, notice this, for what fellowship or interaction and exchange has righteousness with lawlessness? Notice the next part. And what communion has light with darkness, an ox with a rooster? And what accord has Christ with Belial or Satan or devils? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. Now, when he goes through each one of those, he's telling you some big extremes, but he's actually trying to let you know who you are and what is out there and what you are not. You with me? The first thing he said was he first said, you're a believer. Don't be connected to an unbeliever. But when he got down to breaking it down, he said, what fellowship or agreement has righteousness with lawlessness? What agreement? He is basically calling the believer righteousness and anything else lawlessness. Now, that's a strange thing for some believers to say, I'm righteous. I was talking to somebody the other day who uh, was needing something severely in their life. And I talked to them because they just had an inferior complex and inferiority complex about themselves. They just felt guilty. They didn't know if God would totally, they're saved, but don't feel really in good standing with God. And they said, well, I'm trying to be. I said, you don't have to be. When we get born again, the Bible said in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, him who knew no sin, that ain't you, became sin on your behalf so that you might become or be made the righteousness of God in Christ. I think sometimes because we don't know what things mean, we think, well, I'm trying to be righteous. Righteous literally means in good standing. You get in good standing with God through Jesus. And so I'm going to read a set of scriptures in Romans 6. I'm going to read the 10th and 11th verse, and then I'm going to read the 13th and 14th verse concerning Lawless actions and right actions. And it's talking about what Jesus has done already for you, the believer. Uh, but I'm going to read it in the New Living Translation, but you can follow along. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. Jesus died to break the power of sin over your life so you don't have to be a slave to sin anymore. That's good news. When I lived in the world, I was a slave to sin. I didn't have shackles around my ankles and around my, my wrists, 
But there were things holding me. And when I gave my life to the Lord, I didn't know I had been a slave, but I knew I was controlled. I was set free. I didn't know there were scriptures that talked about being a slave to sin. And when one receives Christ, they get set free from being a slave to sin. And he said, but now, I'm gonna, I'll go back and read that. It said, when he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourselves... This is identifying with who you are. Consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. No wonder he said, don't be joined together if you're righteous and in good standing with God and you're saved. You've been set free from sin, so we don't have to join up with lawless deeds. And then he went on to say in the 14th verse, do not let any part, or the 13th and 14th verse, do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God, for you were dead, but now you have new life. Boy, that's as big a difference as a rhino and a mouse. You've got new life. Why would I join myself to lawless deeds and practice wrong when I've got new life? I mean, that will just hinder me. And he said he broke the power of that sin so you don't have to. And then it goes on to say after you have new life, he said, so use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Do what is right for the glory of God. Have you ever needed a tool for something and you had to compromise and use something that just didn't work? You know, you're like, man, I don't have a screwdriver, but I'm trying to use the edge of this knife or something. And it's just, it's not getting it. Have you ever done this before? I've done it on switch plates, you know, on your house where the light switch is. And I'm like, I don't have a screwdriver. I don't have a dime. You know, I got a nickel. It won't fit in there. So you take your thumbnail And you go, okay, and then you break it. Then it hurts, and you're like, ah, I should have just gone and used the right tool. Listen, you are just not made for lawless deeds. You're different. You have new life. That's who you are. I mean, you just there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. If you join yourself to it, you might get a broken nail or worse, but that is not who you are. And you weren't made for that. You were made for something else. And so it's just, it, it's just not made to do that. As a matter of fact, though I joked about a rooster being connected to that yoke, you know, and that's what they called that, it's not made for that. Don't expect the world just to come on up to the way we're supposed to live. But we surely shouldn't come down to live the way they live because he gave us new life. You just weren't created that way. You were created a new way in Christ. And so he said, we have this new life. He said, so sin is no longer your master is how it keeps reading. Live, he said, do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master. Man, oh my. Some people need to drive another nail in the board. So what are you talking about? Get another thing stuck in your head. Jesus is my Lord. 
Not just, I mean, until you become conscious. He's the one who set me free. He's the one who made me new. He's the one who I can live for now because he freed me. And he said, for you no longer are to live under the requirement. Uh, let's go back. Sin is no longer your master. Well, Jesus is. For you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. You live under the freedom of God's grace. You know, in, in Ephesians, it says this, that you are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus, in the 10th verse there, unto good works. No wonder he said don't get joined to that because that is not you at all. As a matter of fact, if you join yourself to it, it'll bring frustration inside. It'll bring disappointment inside of you. Even though you've got new life. It'll bring disappointment. Why? Because you're not living to what you really are in Him. And when you go after that, it'll just bring emptiness, even though He has died so you could be fulfilled. And so He said, what accord or what companionship has righteousness with lawlessness? In other words, He's talking about you and something else. But He, in other words, you are the one who's in right stand with God. You're the one who's dead to sin. You're the one who has new life. So if I join myself to this other thing, what are the rows going to look like that I'm farming in life? Will I ever make it to my destiny if I keep joining myself to these things? When he has done something for me, will I ever make it if I keep connecting to the wrong things? Because here's the thing, this isn't about condemning you, this is about telling you who you really are, and that, wait a minute, I've been connecting to these things, and really those are the things that you used to be. That's who you used to be. And so you just need to not connect with them and go, I'm going to move forward, I'm going to think different about this, I have new life. And you do. You just didn't get your name written in heaven and you're just still the same. No, he's talking about contrasting differences. He's describing those in the world and those in the kingdom. And that you are completely different than you used to be. You are not the same. And then he goes on in the very next part. And he said, after he talks about righteousness with lawlessness. Lawlessness is living outside of every kind of rule. Living outside of every kind of way. We can live a new way because we have new life. You can live a new way because you've been created in Christ unto good works. That's how you are. Your finger was not made to take those screws out. But you can get away with it occasionally. And occasionally a lost person will do something good. Occasionally a saved person will do something wrong. But the real way we should live is what is right. You know, the Bible said how that he bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that you being dead to sins, in 1 Peter 2, 24, should live under righteousness. Why? Because you're completely dead to them. They're just not you. That's why the things of God are fulfilling for a believer when they really go for it. 
Just look at your own life. Examine your own life. When have you been the most fulfilled in life? It, I remember when I was addicted to fishing. And I tell people that and they laugh. <laughs> you can get addicted to a lot of things. But I remember the first time I caught a fish, a bass. I've caught fish much bigger than this. But a largemouth bass over two feet long. And if you know anything about fishing, that's like trophy size. But I remember reeling the thing in. I mean, it's, you know, 25 and a half inches long. And I caught that thing, and I remember thinking, I got it. Now what? It was like I got it, but it didn't do anything. I remember hearing about, I believe it was Shaquille O'Neal when he won one of his titles, when he first won one, when he, because he just lived to do this, you know, that was, if you're going to be the best, you got to have this. When he was walking through the tunnel at the end, and I've heard this about other athletes, after, when they were going through the tunnel, they just went, is this it? <clears throat> the ways of the world just are not fulfilling. They don't hit the mark. It's when you connect with who you are in Christ because you get saved when you give your life to the Lord, then after you've given your life to the Lord, then when you walk in it, examine your life. When are you the most fulfilled? Well, I'm fulfilled, but there's some pressures there too. Yeah, you think the enemy just wants you to live and just be happy and fulfilled, and he's like, well, they're saved. I'll just leave them alone now. No, because he doesn't want your fulfillment to be heard and sounded out in the world so that other people can find out and go, I want that too. You with me? And so, what accord? What connection does righteousness have with lawlessness? The next part says this. Righteousness, well, we won't go past that yet. Righteousness with lawlessness. Right living is important to the believer. Not because it makes you right with God. Jesus did that. But it's just so foreign to your nature have you ever felt drawn to pray as a believer or to read and you didn't do it and you just were like, ugh, and just didn't do what you knew you were supposed to do? Well, to not do it means you're giving yourself to something else and that's why people are disappointed and unfulfilled in a life that's supposed to be fulfilling. But when you go, okay, I'm finally going to do it, here we go, and you do it, have you ever looked at your life and thought, man, that is when I was the most satisfied and the most fulfilled that I've ever been? That was the best. That was it. Because you connected with who you really are. I don't mean naturally. I mean spiritually. When you got born again, you became a different person. When you connect with who you really are, that's when you're satisfied and fulfilled. Paul lived a satisfied life. He said he finished his course with joy, and he was whipped, he was beaten, he was stoned to death. I mean, this stuff happened to Paul all the time. And he said, I finished my course with joy. Huh? He was in prison. He's praising the Lord. Because he had connected with who he was and the purpose God had for him, and he found out that's how to walk in this full new life that we all have. What if Paul would have joined himself to somebody else who just didn't want to do God's plan and 
joined himself to not fulfilling God's plan and live in his own way, he would have had new life, but I bet you Paul would have not said at the end of his life, man, I finished my course with joy. He would have said, I'm done. But thank God he, it's written so we can know, so we can finish our course with joy too. But it doesn't happen automatically. But it's for every person, no matter what you've done, you can finish your course with joy. But it takes effort. It takes us joining with the right thing. Notice the next part. It says this, righteousness with lawlessness. And what communion or interaction has light with darkness? Well, those are two contrasting things. You know, Ephesians 5.8 says, you were once darkness, but now, right now, you are light in the Lord. The Bible calls lost people the children of darkness. That means you are not one of them after you've given your life to the Lord. You are now light in the Lord. If I join myself to that, is it going to do anything good for me? No. That's why Jesus said, who do men say that I am? When they connected with who he was and followed after that, it benefited them. When you find out, didn't Jesus say, you are the light of the world? He didn't say everybody. He said, you, the believer, are the light of the world. A city that's set on a hill that cannot be hid. He said, when you're the light, he said, don't put it underneath a bushel. What do you mean by that? Or under a basket. He said, don't do that. Don't do that. In other words, you could say, don't be connected to the wrong so your light is covered. Because light is good. People fear in the dark. Usually people aren't afraid in the light. You with me? And how cool is it that you can be a light in a dark world where there's a bunch of needy people? Ephesians 5, 8 through 11. I'm going to read this in the, in the New Living Translation. Again, these just most... Both these translations that I've read or places that I've read were just really clear there. He said, for you once, for once you were full of darkness. Why does he not want you to be joined together with darkness? Because you were once that, you're not once you've given your life to the Lord. You're not. I don't know if it's just my life or I watch too, much three, too many Three Stooges when I was little. Sometimes you want to slap somebody and go, Psh, and say, you're not. <laughs> you can get in trouble for that. You're not darkness. You're not that anymore. You're not what they are. You're what you are in the Lord. And just like we talked about earlier, if you would communicate it and declare, I'm light in the Lord, that light will take hold of your life. It's there you are not darkness, you are light in the Lord. He said, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light. For this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. Why? Because you are light in the Lord. Think about it. The Bible says this, we're part of the kingdom of light, 
the kingdom of light, and we've been delivered from the kingdom of darkness in Colossians, the first chapter. So we're in a different kingdom, so why should we live in that kingdom of darkness when we're really of the kingdom of light? Because you are. You're not going to be. When you get saved, you are light in the Lord. The next thing he said is really interesting. Because most people would agree I'm light in the Lord because Jesus said you're the light of the world. And we read those verses. There's other verses. And people are familiar with that. But then you read this and talks about an identifying factor. Now this one, some people might choke on, but we're just going to read it anyway. Because he's comparing. He said, verse 15, and what, and what accord has Christ with Belial or Satan? Why does he care, compare the believer to Jesus and the unbeliever to Satan? Man, Jesus, that's pretty tough. But you think about it, that's more different than a, an ox and a rooster. That's a huge, I mean, we're talking the epitome of lies and the epitome of darkness and the epitome of sin and the epitome of everything that is good, right, whole, everything, fulfillment. I mean, you're talking one and the other, and he identifies you as Christ. Now, he didn't say you're the Savior. Now, doesn't the Bible say, and we'll read some verses, but doesn't the Bible say things like, you are the body of Christ and members individually. That he is the head of the church, which is his body. If he's the head and you're the body, when I come and meet you and I'm like, oh, hey, what's your name? I never met. What's your name? What's your name? Jeremy. Jeremy. It's nice to meet you, Jeremy. What's your body's name? Oh, Fred. No, it's Jeremy too. And so he's just comparing us. I mean, we don't have a different name for our body. Now, you're not the Savior. You're not the Lord. But you're part of his body. The Bible said you're one with the Lord when you give your life to the Lord. And so he's just trying to get this contrasted so you know how this way of life is and the way of life you live in. You're not the head of the church. Jesus is the head of the body. You're only a body part. Right? 1 Corinthians 12, 27 says, You are the body of Christ and members individually. You're the body. You need to identify you're not some slime ball. You're not some dirt bag. When you gave your life to the Lord, as a matter of fact, there's a verse of Scripture when God was sending uh, Peter to the, to the Gentiles. And Peter had this opinion of them that they were unclean because the Jews had that idea. And the Lord appeared to him in a vision or showed him some stuff in a vision. And he said, whatever you do, he said, do not call them common or unclean. Do not call common or unclean what I have cleansed. So when he cleansed him, he said, you have to have this opinion. You need to have this opinion. You are the body of Christ. You're, a man. You're not the body of Satan. You're not of the devil. Turn to John 8. John 8. And this is Jesus preaching. You know, good old Jesus. What would Jesus do? People should look what he would do and what he would say. Because it would change up their ideas. 
Yeah, out there. What, what would Jesus do? Oh, all these suffering animals, what would Jesus do? Well, I know what he'd do. He told his disciples, he said, go and kill a lamb and go get the Passover meal ready. They had to kill something. There were times Jesus ignored people. You with me? It's just good to read. Jesus is for everybody. But he wanted people to act in faith and trust him. And when they did, he always answered. But notice this in John 8. And we'll begin in verse 40, 44. It says, verse 44, he said, now he is talking to the religious people of his day. People who had religious rules, but they didn't know God. He notices, he said, you are of your father... You are of your father, the devil. That's what family you're in. And the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth. Because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources. For he is a liar and the father of it. Notice how he identified these people who didn't know God as people who had resources that were evil and wrong. And this is the reason they acted out this way. You with me? He didn't say, we're all children of God. No. Jesus told us you have to be born again to become a child of God. You have to receive Jesus to be born again. And when you are, you could change these verses and say it like this. You are of your father God and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a life giver from the beginning and he stands in the truth because he is the truth, because there is no lie in him. And when he speaks the truth, he speaks from his own resources for he is the truth and the father of it. I mean, there is a vast distinction between a saved person and a lost person. Well, somebody said, well, I don't always act like that. Well, you were recreated that way. And that's all he's saying is, listen, you are different. You are part of the body of Christ. You are what he is. You have his life. You have his nature when you get saved. Not everybody does. I know people don't like that, but the Bible said he who has the Son in 1 John 5, 12 has life. That doesn't mean you just have an enjoyable life. Go read the Greek word. It's zoe. Somebody said, oh, I know zoe. It's in my class. He lives down the street from me. No, that's a Greek word that literally means the life and quality of life that is possessed by God. What is it you get when you get saved? You get eternal life. That doesn't mean you just live from ever, forever. It means you, the Bible said this. He said, we know we've passed from death unto life. Didn't Adam and Eve pass from life to death? And they kept going on in life, but it jacked them all up. But we pass from death unto life when we receive Christ. And it changes everything inside of us. We are the body of Christ. Now there's one more thing here. He said, what accord has a believer with an unbeliever? Here's an interesting verse as you're on your way back there 
Go to Ephesians or back to Corinthians. Just keep going to Ephesians, and we'll close, I believe. We'll read one more verse after this. Ephesians 1.13. You need to identify with who you are. If you don't know who you are, you might act different and think it's okay and wonder, why am I not fulfilled like I should be? I'm a believer. Why? What's going on here? It's good to know who you are, just like it was good for Jesus to know who he was. Because then he could know what he was to join up with and what he was to do in life. And so here in Ephesians 1, I don't know if I said verse 3, but verse 13, in him or in Jesus, you also trusted. Now we're talking about a believer and an unbeliever. He said, in him, you also trusted after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. In whom, or in Jesus also, having believed. Have you believed in him? Have you received him? He said, then you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. You got God's spirit in you when you got saved. That's how you know things beyond your mind. That's how you know sometimes, man, I knew I shouldn't have let that happen. I knew I shouldn't have done that because he's in you to guide you. Now, can you get filled to overflowing with that same spirit who's in you? Yeah, just more of the same Tell you're overflowing. But nonetheless, at salvation, you were sealed. God knows, the devil knows, you need to know who lives in you and what you have in you. God knows it. The devil knows it. Do you know it? If other people don't know it, that's okay. You need to know it. It'll change how you think when you know God lives in me. He put his seal, his mark upon me when he put his spirit in the spirit realm. If we could see every person in here, we would know who is saved and who is not. We could see the mark of divine life and we could see the spirit of God in you. The devil sees it. God sees it. We read the word so we can see it. Because why? Because man, what would I join up with? How would you act if you were a trillionaire? Be like I wouldn't be doing the work I'm doing right now. I tell you that right now. I probably wouldn't even be reading my Bible. I'd be having somebody read it to me right now. If I was a trillionaire. Well, maybe you have a treasure that's beyond what you know, and you just need to find out, and it would change how you acted your life. Acted out your life. You with me? Let's read this verse right here and close. Actually, we won't read it. No, we'll read it. As I said, Psalm 92, let's close. Because we're talking about being connected to the right thing based on who you are, what you have. Psalm 92, 13 says this. An interesting verse says, Ninety-two, thirteen. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord. You could say this. Those who are connected with the right things. When you're right, you need to be connected with the right things. When you have his life, you need to be connected with the right thing. He said, those who are planted in the house of the Lord. Now, I'm putting some new plants in at my house. I'm not trying to tell you about this. Well, I, let me tell you what I got. No, 
But one thing that's interesting, when I left this one nursery, he said, well, you're going to put all these plants in. It wasn't a bunch of them, like, you know, like 50. But he said, you should take some of this stuff, put three tablespoons, put it in with a gallon of water. As soon as you bury, plant the thing, he said, pour it in there because there's a thing called root shock. And your plant will get shocked, you know, when you take it from one place to the other. There is just something about being connected and staying connected that keeps you free from some shock. You ever been shocked in your life? You went, okay, I'm going to go do this. And went, ah, then you came back. And then you went back and went, why did I do that? And there's a shock to your system. He said, if you stay planted in the house of the Lord, he said, you shall flourish in the courts of our God. In other words, you will grow and get strong in God when you connect with the right things. He said, they shall. Who? They. They who? Those who are planted in the right thing. Those who stay rooted in the right thing. You with me? He said, they shall bear fruit in old age. They shall be, or they shall be fresh and flourishing. Now, don't take that word as fresh as being something wrong. Well, they're awful fresh. No, but he said, you're not going to get all crusty. You don't have to. That's good news. He said, you can actually flourish if you will connect with the right things because of who you are. In other words, a tree will naturally produce what it is as if it's given a chance to be planted with the right thing. You with me? But when it's taken and plugged into something else, it just doesn't always have a chance to grow like it should. But it doesn't change what that tree is. You with me? Let's do this. Let's bow our heads.